Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender. Oh, yeah. Well, let me introduce Dr. Coleman. Dr. Coleman is an assistant professor of surgery at Howard University and is the interim chief of urology, the division of urology, and has been in the practice of urology now for, what is it, 25? No, it's 30 years now? Yeah, since uh, 1986. Yeah, 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 it's been a good while. Yeah, and uh, so she is very proficient and has been dealing with uh, men and women with urological diseases, and therefore she's going to share once again her expertise with us. She's one of one of the few who's, who's been speaking to us since the days of uh, before the pandemic in person, and uh, now again she's here with us in Zoom. So, Dr. Uh, Coleman, the floor is yours for the next uh, hour. Thank you so much, Dr. Calendar. So, um, good morning, everyone, and I'm glad you can hear me and see me. Um, sorry for that little bit of delay. So, I'm going to. Um, to talk about erectile dysfunction. Um, and we're gonna um, go through, I have on my desk here, a lot of different treatment options and different things, but I wanna start first with, first thing that it's a very, very common problem um, in both men and women, okay? And we're gonna talk about both men and women. Um, it can be treated, okay, so don't fear. Um, it's something that <clears throat> happens to everyone at actually different stages of life, um, we pop, we see it, I see it in my practice as early as people, I actually in their teens, but even probably more commonly after people get over 40. And there are a lot of causes. We used to think that it was more uh, psychological, but now we find that it really starts as more of organic causes. So um, it may be associated with different drugs that people take. I have in the background here that it really in itself is not a disease. It's really a, um, a symptom of something else going on. So what we have to keep in mind that to in men and in women to get excited, to get the, the penis excited in terms of blood flowing in, to get the clitoris excited in terms of blood flowing in, um, you've got the vessels have to be able to dilate to allow the blood to flow in. And that means the rest of the vessels in the body have to be healthy. And so the vessels in those areas, of course, are very, very small. The larger vessels, the body is much, much smaller than we think it is. And so the body says, you know what? I need blood flowing to my heart. I need blood flowing to my brain. I know blood flowing to my lungs, different places. So it may be that something is wrong with our blood pressure. So I have, I don't know if you can see in the back of me, a blood pressure monitor. So if you're having problems getting and maintaining an erection or total orgasm, you should be seeing your primary care doctor. You should be getting your blood pressure check. Or you should be checking with blood pressure medications that you're on. You should be going, just getting a, a physical exam, getting your heart, getting your lungs checked. So vital signs are very, very important. And those things should be looked at. So again, you, you sometimes we will focus on, um, patients will come to see me and they'll say, I'm having problems getting and maintaining an erection or just getting stimulation or just feeling like I want to be um, I want to please my my partner, but I can't. And it may be a problem with overall well-being and not, you know, they're focusing on their, their sexual components, but it really can go back to their overall well-being. Um, so remember, think about seeing your primary care doctor first and getting your vital signs and everything checked out, getting an overall um, physical examination because it may be pointing to a more serious health problem, okay? Maybe you've also had some type of surgery. I know all of you have been in some way involved with Dr. Callender and maybe different types of transplant surgeries or different things you've had done. It may or may not relate to something like that that's happened before. Uh, it may be secondary to, if you, in the past, if you ever were a smoker, um, and hopefully you have stopped smoking, but smoking and even nowadays people are vaping. We are probably will see the effects of vaping in the future, but vaping still involves a certain amount of chemical um, as we have in smoke, the tar, the nicotine and everything that causes constriction of the blood vessels. Again, that constriction of those vessels decreases the amount of oxygen 
and flow of nutrients to our the different parts of our body. Um, it's going to affect the smaller vessels first. So the smaller vessels being the vessels that are in the organs, like in the penis, in the clitoral areas, in the vaginal areas, they're not going to get enough blood flow. If they don't get enough blood flow, they're not going to be able to maintain a satisfactory erection. So what is the erectile dysfunction? It's the inability to maintain um, satisfactory erection to be able to satisfy your partner. So how it can be a perception, however one sees that to be. Now there can be uh, different facets of that. There can be performance anxiety that can be involved in. There can, there can be psychological issues and one can cause the other and vice versa. Um, it could be also a matter of depression. So sometimes people have underlying depression that actually affects their ability to uh, be sexually active. Um, so it could be a nervous condition. Again, some patients that have had stroke have history of Parkinson's disease. Um, other neurologic factors, those all those things can be affect uh, your erections. So it like I said, it's really um it's a signal. Like if you start to sneeze, if you start to cough, maybe you have pneumonia, maybe you have a cold, maybe you have COVID, but it's just something that's telling you that you need to look into it further. Okay. So let me just go a little bit more so on the anatomy. And we're gonna start, uh, I guess probably basics with men. I know there's some women out there also. Um the other thing I will say <laughs> that um, a lot of times people don't think about it in terms of cancer, prostate cancer, the nerves that supply the penis for erections run alongside the prostate. So I have a model. I, I wish we were in person, but we're not. So, but I have a model in the anatomy of this is of men. We'll talk about men and we'll go to women. Can you see all see this? Okay. So here we have um, the phallus, the penis here. Um, let me see if I have a pen. Okay, in the scrotum. Okay. I see it very well. Oh, great. Okay. We raise um, it up. I think you raise it up. Yeah, that's better. Right there. Okay. The so, yeah, that's um, better. That's a bad idea. Right there. Okay. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the phallus of penis, <clears throat> which actually, a um, couple things. The urine comes through, and also when you ejaculate, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> through the urethra, the semen comes through. In that semen is the, the sperm, which are made in the testes, which is found in the scrotum or the sac. So down here, and they're carried up by the structure here called the vas deferens, which mixes with the fluid here from the prostate gland and then is ejaculated out, okay? So the nerves that go to the penis for erections actually are inside the pelvis. Certainly there are nerves on the outside of the penis for uh, sensual stimulation, but the nerves are actually that are important for erections are inside your body, inside the pelvis, and run alongside the prostate gland. So if there's anything that involves the prostate gland, infection, inflammation, cancer, enlargement of the prostate, and affects that neurovascular bundle, that can affect your erections. So I have seen, and Dr. Aaron Jackson, who was chair of urology um, kind of many moons ago, but not too long ago, Sometimes erectile dysfunction can be a beginning symptom suggestive sometimes of some type of prostate disorder and even prostate cancer, okay? Or if you've had prostate surgery or anything, that can also be a signal, again, that we need to do not just treat you for prostate for your erections, but look, check out your prostate to see what's going on there. All right, so let's look at the, the penis. This is actually a model that Dr. Jackson uh, left for me, gave me a long time ago um, before he left this earth. But it shows, um, I'm gonna use it actually to demonstrate something else. But what I wanna show you on here, on this model, is that in the penis, there are actually three bodies, three corporal bodies. So we have here the glands or the head of the penis. Underneath you see this, I don't know if you can tell, it's the yellow tube. That's where the urine would come out, so it'll make it yellow. And then on the top, there's usually a pretty prominent, prominent vessel, uh, superficial vein on the top of the, of the penis. And then we have these other bodies, the corporal bodies, they're large veins, basically. And the medical term is body, like it's a corpus. A corpus. So the corporal bodies where blood flows in and that blood is the blood that flows in that causes the erection. 
So when the blood flows into the corporal bodies, and at least about seven times the normal amount of blood that is in these corporal bodies flows in for the erection. So you can remember seven times the amount the normal amount of blood flows in. So these vessels have to be in good shape for that blood to be able to flow in. And when it flows in there, it has to flow in and then it has to stay in those corporal bodies. The glands are the head of the penis. You see the corporal bodies flow in a little bit to the mid glands, but it's actually the shaft that's actually getting erect and then the glands superficially then becomes erect. The urethral area actually just sort of rides with it. It doesn't actually maintain its erection, but you might, when you wake up in the morning, guys, you might say, Sometimes we'll ask you, do you wake up in the morning with, quote, a hard-on? So once you urinate, the hard-on might go away. Or at night when you're sleeping, especially when you're dreaming you are in REM sleep, you may have erections, or you may even actually even ejaculate. Little babies, little um, babies, when they're sleeping, they're actually having erections. And it's important when they're dreaming, because if they're not circumcised, it actually helps to push that or that skin that is tight around the head of the penis to open it up so that if they're not circumcised, eventually that skin will become loose so that it can be able to be pulled back to clean the area. So there are a lot of different reasons for being having really good sleep, um, being in REM sleep and dreaming and um, often on actually having um, erections while you're sleeping. Now, I wanted to show you this anatomy because it's going to be important when we start to talk about treatment for erectile dysfunction in men, okay? All right, so that's important there. So let's let's move on to that a little bit. Any questions so far? Okay. So one of the common treatments, uh, probably the first line of treatment for erectile dysfunction. So let's say you you've come in. You've I always I'll ask the students. Okay, how do you treat something? How do you treat a particular uh, ailment? And people will start jumping into laboratory values, this, that, and everything else. It says, can you turn off the blur on the back of your screen? Um, okay. Mariani, come for a second. I can try to turn off the glare. One second. I'm going to keep going. They want me to turn off the, the blare in the back. Maybe it's going with me. I'm going to keep going while she does that for me. I have my little, my assistant here. One of our first Hi. students. She wants, he wants uh, when to turn off the blur. Unbelievable. All right. Okay. Is that a little bit better? Uh, yes. Okay, great. Okay. So I always ask, how do you treat a certain condition? And people say you do this, you do that. Well, the first thing for treating any condition is to get the history. So we have to talk to our patients to get the history. What's your history? You know, did you smoke? Did you drink? Did you have surgery? Are you on certain medications? All these things are important. What's your physical exam? Then what's your lab work? And then we'll get down to treatment. Okay. So let's talk about treatment. So the first option in treatment for erectile dysfunction is after we looked at everything else and deciphered everything else is medications. So common medications are our phosphodiesterase inhibitors. So when the most common one that came out on the market first was, and I'll use the brand names and the generic names was Viagra, okay? So Viagra, and there's actually four different um, oral medications to treat erectile dysfunction. And I will say, ladies, that these medicines were tried also in women, but they weren't. Uh, treatment of uh, ED in women is much, a little bit more complex than just taking a pill, but they were effective. They do increase blood flow. So how were they, how were they uh, developed? Well, they were first looked at for blood pressure. Um, they were being studied to help to see if they, and they do, they actually do help to open up the vessels, to dilate the vessels, and so, uh, the people, the men in the studies were taking them and it was lowering their blood pressure and they were also waking up in the morning with an erection. And uh, so they were very happy about that and they were wondering, well, why was this happening? So we went back and studied it and they found that these medications were based by ladies. They actually have a very common um, property, uh, very much associated to caffeine. Caffeine actually is also as a stimulant, is also somewhat of a, a vasodilator. And they also have a very also unique sort of chemical look as yohimbine. So again, 20, 30, 40 years ago, we used to use yohimbine, which is a bark from an African plant to, um, again, it was given to help with erections, but it doesn't, it's not really very, very specific um, for erections, but it can help a little bit. So anyway, as, as time evolved, 
um, Viagra was eventually developed. And what we found that it, it works in a chemical reaction inside of the cells of the penis that once this chemical reaction starts, it helps to release the nitric oxide. And I tell my students, remember that instead of it's not nitrous, but it's nitric oxide. I say, we think about this as um, a person who's performing a particular trick for sexual satisfaction. <laughs> and remember, so it's a trick, it's a nitric oxide. This nitric oxide causes vasodilation. That vasodilation, as I remember I told you, helps increase that seven times the amount of blood flow into these corporal bodies. Once those bodies open up, that blood flows in, the penis becomes erect, and therefore you, then you have your erection. Now the blood has to stay in there inside of those sinusoidal bodies. We're not quite sure um, the compression probably helps it maintain, um, but that's what's happening. So the nitric oxide, now the nitric oxide has to be inside of the penis. So you may have some um, people that market and they say, oh, you know, take this nitric oxide to help you with your erections. Well, no, it's then when you take that orally, that's not going to get down to the cells into the penis. It has to be inside the action, the reaction has to take place inside the cells of the penis. So you cannot just take nitric oxide over the counter and that's gonna help you with the erections. That's really kind of false advertising, false marketing. There's a lot of false marketing that goes on. There's a lot of, um, uh, you might, you know, if you're up at night in particular, I think they do that potentially at people who are up at night and can't sleep and they do a lot of false advertising. And if you actually buy the, the pill that they say is gonna help stimulate whatever, it will say on the bottle, you read the entire bottle, say this medication, this pill, this whatever, this nutrient, this supplement, well, it's not intended to treat, cure, or diagnose any condition. You're basically taking it as a high plus supplement of vitamin. So it may help some things, but it's really over time, it's really a placebo effect. It's not really helping you uh, over the long term. But anyway, and the other thing to keep in mind is these medications like Viagra, there's four of them. So there's Viagra. Uh, brand name is, um, generic name is Sidenafil, there's Cialis, Levitra, and another one called Stendra that just came in the market. And they're all in the same family as phosphodiesterase inhibitors. And they all work a little bit differently and, and they all have a little bit different side effects because they work a little bit differently. But basically the way they're working is that once the sexual stimulation, so that has to happen first. How can that happen? Foreplay, masturbation, visualization, auditory stimulation, whatever, that has to happen first. And then once that chemical reaction starts to happen inside of the cells of the penis and the nitric oxide is released, the vasodilation occurs, the blood flows in, and then the erection occurs. After that, the activity occurs and the orgasm happens, the ejaculation happens, then the erection goes down. Now with the different medications, Viagra basically stays in the system about 24 hours or so, and then it's metabolized. And then it's, it's um, once it's broken down, the components is broken down, it's uh, then it's out of your system. Cialis though, or Tadala with a T, Tadalafil can last a little bit longer. It can last anywhere between 24 to 72 hours. So some, sometimes it was called the weekend, the weekend uh, medication for erections, because once you take one pill, not that your erection will last 24 to 72 hours, but it can be broken down and then it can be sort of recalled again with um, sexual stimulation and then it can be used again. So it has a little bit of a, more of a longer acting uh, in your system to be used again. But the thing about it, it does also can have longer acting side effects um, in that if you have, for example, other issues with your heart and you're taking other medications that also lower your blood pressure, you have to be wary that those side effects can, the two of them can have side effects. Um, Levitra um, uh, is similar to Viagra in that it has a 24 hour sort of window. Um, and then the last one, um, Stindra, is it's sort of claim to fame as that it can be taken with a little bit more of um, alcohol or food. So. One thing that was learned with Viagra and Cialis and Levitra is that they probably should be taken on an empty stomach. When you take them, especially with a high carbohydrate meal or alcohol, it interferes with their metabolism. So they don't work as well. And 
So Stenja was developed that you can take it with a little bit more, um, more than six ounces of alcohol or food. And so it works a bit better. So in developing the different medications, that's how they came about. Not many people know about Stenja, the last one, because it's the last one on the market. So it, it didn't um, get a lot of different play in terms of it being developed and being used, but it is also available. Now, what I will tell you with these oral medications that they don't, they're not hundred percent on everyone. They only really work on about two out of three people. And they also don't work very well in patients that have diabetes. Diabetes is itself um, a disease that also works on the smooth, smooth uh, muscles and vessels inside the body. And they themselves also sort of kind of cause havoc and the medications don't work as well. So, but we do have other alternative treatments for patients that have diabetes mellitus and other different conditions. So with Viagra, it has potential side effect to that particular medication. These phosphodiesterase receptors are found other places, for example, in our eyes. And so Viagra has a side effect on the eyes that it can cause in 10%, not everybody, a blue tint to the vision. And so it is on the list of medications that pilots should not be taking it. Uh, people you know, who are driving the plane within an hour because it can cause this blue tint. And of course we wouldn't want them up there flying with a blue tint to their vision and trying to navigate the, the sky. So it's on the sort of bad list of medications for pilots, but there are other medicines that they can take. Um, Cialis uh, as a side effect, uh, has two actually, one's a good side effect that also, as it can lower the, the um, blood pressure to some degree, it also has a little bit of what we call alpha blocker activity. So if you have also signs of BPH or benign prostate enlargement, it can also help you with bladder outlet obstruction. So instead of being on um, other alpha blockers, some of, the, of you are on things like Flomax or Tamsulosin, where you have need something to help you with emptying your bladder. Um, Cialis is also FDA approved, not only for erectile dysfunction, but in lower dosage, daily dosage is also approved, indicated for BPH. Um, but it can also cause some muscle weakness in the legs and some muscle pain, usually not enough to, for people to stop taking the medication, um, but just kind of be aware of that, that is a side effect of that medication. Um, Levitra, again, will be similar to Viagra and uh, Stendra, not um, very similar to the other medications. But um, so that's just in general, if you decide to take any of those medications. The main thing is if you do have problems with your heart and you are on other medicines, particularly nitrates and nitroglycerins that also lower the blood pressure, they're vasodilators, you do not want to take your your um, these the Viagra and the Cialis with these medications together because your blood pressure can get too low. You can get lightheaded, dizzy, faint, and um, have you know untoward consequences from that. So initially, when Viagra was marketed, um, that was known, but it wasn't really. Um, it wasn't a lot of that wasn't told to patients, and so and it was marketed more to initially to more to nanogenarians, octogenarians, and people were dying from having sex and but taking their nitroglycerin because their blood pressures and things were getting too low with those medications. So the, they are contraindicated to take both of them together. And that's probably the, the more worrisome thing with Cialis because it is such longer acting. And so if you're taking Cialis and you're taking using nitroglycerin too, the two of them are contraindicated taking them together. The other thing that we're concerned about is priapism. And of course, that's a, you'll hear the commercial when they used to advertise all the time, it's an erection that lasts more than four hours. Now, this is not um, a good and normal erection. This is actually an abnormal erection. So this is when the blood is actually sort of in the penis, not draining out. It's, it's in there too long. And actually, that blood is not oxygenated blood. It's now blood that does not have oxygen in it. It's bad blood. It's, sometimes we see this very commonly in patients that have sickle cell disease um, in the trait, and it actually then, this deoxygenated blood actually causes harm to the cells and actually can cause necrosis and death to the cells. So if you have an erection that's lasting, it should go down after your um, orgasm and then ejaculation. If it doesn't, and it's since the last more than four hours, well, a couple of things you can do at home. I mean, stop the stimulation. First thing, put an ice pack on. Second thing, you can use pseudoephedrine. 
um, some kind of telework. If not, you need to come right into the emergency room, call your doctor, come to the emergency room, and then we have different techniques that we can use to take that erection down. So that's probably the most, the worst side effect from the oral medications and other uh, treatments I'm gonna talk about. So any questions so far on oral therapy? Okay, so the next, so that would be the first most common therapy that probably your doctor or urologist will talk to you about. Yes, um, yes, sir. Do I see a hand waving? No. I, I have a question. Um, yes, sir. You mentioned about blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So um, is there a, a range of, of blood pressure that we should check for when we take our, uh, our pressure at home? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So I see you have a watch on there. So there are a lot of smart watches now <laughs> that, um, and which is nice that they, they're available for a couple of reasons that you can, you can use the regular blood pressure cuff or blood pressure machine to take your blood pressure down. I am not a cardiologist, but I am a physician. And so you wanna really address that question more to your primary care doctor and your cardiologist because the blood pressure ranges actually have, have changed, okay? And they're, some of them are actually, actually more towards your own blood pressure. But in general, we used to say, you know, 140 over 80 or something. But now physicians are looking to having lower blood pressures in the 120 range. Now that, like I said, depends on you because some patients, when you get the blood pressure down too low, it may be too low for that particular patient, okay? Um, if you have a smartwatch on, um, you can actually monitor your blood pressure during the day. You can see what your blood pressure, your pulse, even your EKG, even your oxygen saturation. And I think this is really a nice idea because when patients come into the office to see their doctor, sometimes they'll come in and they, their blood pressure is high and they'll say, well, I have white coat syndrome. My pressure goes up since I come into a physician's office. But if you have the smartwatch, and you say, this, these are my pressures at home, and you can show them to your doctor, it's really nice because they can say, oh, okay, so those are your blood pressures at home. And maybe when you come in to see me, you do have quote, white coat syndrome, and I can see where you are and compare it to where you are. So I think some of these smart watches and things are, are actually a, a, good, a good tool to have to be able to speak to your doctor with. But um, I will say the whole blood pressure phenomenon and everything, you should really speak with your primary care doctor. Certainly, if you're over 140 um, in terms of your top number, your systolic number, that can be somewhat worrisome nowadays when before it used to be thought, oh, that's okay. That may, may not be okay depending upon your overall uh, physical health. And uh, on that same topic, my, my doctor, uh, when I, I told him I was having issues, he changed, actually changed my blood pressure medication. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I don't know if it's really working yet, but uh, he said that certain blood pressure medications can um, definitely uh, affect uh, your ability to have an erection. Yes, that's very true because those blood pressure medications are to lower your blood pressure. Okay, so when they lower your blood pressure, that's going to lower the pressure of the blood that you need to have the blood to flow into your penis for your erections. But keep in mind, the key there is to keep the blood pressure low. So we have, I'm gonna show you some other options for treatments for your, to help maintain your erections, okay? So we wanna keep a good pressure level for the brain function, for the heart function, for everything else to go on. And then we'll work around that in terms of quality of life, in terms of your sexual function, okay? But yes, and as I mentioned with the medications like Viagra, and I'll just pick Viagra, I have no stock in Viagra or Pfizer, but, um, and maybe some of you might have it in your portfolios. A lot of people do probably, but you don't want your blood pressure to drop so low that when you do take a medication like Viagra or Cialis or something, that it also is a vasodilator. As I mentioned, remember it was initially touted to lower blood pressure for hypertension. And some people do give it, it's, it's under a different name. Not Viagra has a different name when it's used for pulmonary hypertension. Um, it does, it is used for that you don't want your pressure to drop so low, okay? So it's one of those things when I have sometimes patients will come in, and they'll say, oh, by the way, I want to, you know, medicine for my sex life. It's not really a by the way conversation. You should bring it up with your doctor immediately. If you, you know, when you're talking about, okay, yes, doc, you know, thanks for the medicines for my blood pressure, but I also have an issue with my sex life. And now they may, may not have time to talk about it on that particular office visit, or they may say, well, let me refer you to my favorite urologist and he or she will talk to you about it. But 
it's not a say, it's not like, okay, yeah, here's a prescription for this. It's something that really needs to be discussed because there can be different interactions with these medications and everything. Okay, yes, um, Otto, is that Dr. Otto? I see your hand up. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I think you're on, you're still on mute. I'm still muted. Unmute yourself. Do, you're still muted, Dr. Otto. Okay. okay, go ahead. Uh -huh. All right, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I have uh, just two questions. One, <clears throat> this incidence of um, erectile dysfunction, I, I, can I assume that it increases with age? One. And then secondly, <clears throat> um, these various uh, treatment uh, options that you gave, like uh, Viagra, Cialis, I will assume that uh, the digestive enzymes, you know, have some effect on their <coughs> acting. Um, and if so, is there any other form of treatment for e uh, ED, such as uh, an IV or just ordinary rub? Has there been any uh, advances made, you know, to um uh to bring about the treatment of ed through iv intravenous treatment or through just an ordinary uh, uh a, a rub like um, you know just ordinary rub on uh, the penis okay yes so um there are other advances um, even in these uh, medications, so these are all medications that you can take at home. You don't have to give an IV uh, therapy for them. I mean, there are some, even in these medications, advances are being looked at in terms of just not a, an oil tablet you swallow. But I know for Cialis, they're actually also looking at it as a chewable tablet, because sometimes not everyone can swallow certain tablets. That will probably come out in the next couple of years. There's also looking at... Um, a salve that, like you said, that you would maybe rub onto uh, directly onto the skin. We know the skin is like the largest organ in the body for absorbing things correctly. So they have looked at different salves for rubbing on directly onto the area of the, the skin of the penis in terms of um, absorption that directly that way. Mm -hmm. And so there's some new um, some new treatment options that are going to come out. Okay. Um, I don't intravenously. I don't. That's not one that um, you know one probably would want to want to consider. But as I mentioned, um, they do. When you take it orally, they do go into the system. They they can also get um, have interference with metabolism of other things that you may eat or drink with them, yes. and that can delay their absorption or their ability to be effective. Mm -hmm. um, with other things that you can, that you eat or drink with them. So they should, for the most part, they should be taken on an empty stomach at this point in time. Um, so, or a minimum of four to six ounces. So I know a lot of times maybe Valentine's day came up, you know, people are having some wine, something like that with their meal, but you have to make sure that they are taken probably after two hours of drinking or after having a heavy, a high carbohydrate meal. So on that note, Unless you have a follow-up question, I'm going to go on to the, some other options for treatment besides the oral medications, because as I mentioned, not everyone is going to respond to Viagra, Cialis, or Levitra. So there are other options, and all of them are going to be involved in trying to increase blood flow into the penis. Okay? Is that good for you, Dr. Atta? Yes, yes. Very good. Okay. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Mm -hmm. So some of the other options, again, trying to stimulate uh, this, the corpora, trying to increase blood flow into this corpora cavernosa um, is direct stimulation. And so this is, uh, there are two companies that make, um, a, it's called, uh, one is Caverjet and one is called Edex. And it's a small needle, as small as about 35 gauges, smaller than an acupuncture needle. And it's actually smaller than any that you would give if you had uh, insulin uh, diabetes. That you would be taught how to inject directly into the corpora cavernosa. Okay, so let's go back to our anatomy. Um, 
So remember I was saying about you have the glands or the head of the penis, you have the shaft, you have usually that superficial vein. There may be many on the top, but there's usually one sort of big vein. And then on the bottom of the penis is the urine tube, okay? So this is injected not into the vein directly or not underneath the penis, but into the shaft of the penis, um, into the corporal area. So, and not into the head of the penis. So you would learn to be taught how to inject this medication. And you can see the needle is maybe less than a centimeter, like an inch or so. It can come with a uh, injector gun where you, once you swab the skin with an alcohol swab, you just put it there and you just tap really quickly. So it'll go really quickly down into the corpora and inject the medication inside the corpora. And the medicine is alprostadil to begin with. So that medication is a vasodilator. It will dilate this the vessel, this main vessel, which communicates with both the other side of your penis to draw that blood, to dilate the vessel, draw the blood into the penis and cause the erection, okay? Mm -hmm. um, there's a way that you, once you we decide how much you need for your erection, we can dial that in. Um, it can be one, it could be two millimeters, you know, there's a certain amount that we can figure out that you, what you need for your erection type. Um, this one here is set at 1.5. This one here is set at 2.5. So there's different amounts. We usually do a test dose in the office. Now, what I will say with this one injection of the, of the alpacidil, sometimes if that's not enough, we can add in two other medications to enhance the erection. With this type of injection therapy, however, because now you're injecting medicine, now so you're not taking it orally, it doesn't have to get metabolized in your system, you're direct, directly injecting. This is probably the most common way that if you over-inject that you can get priapism, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's why we have to titrate how much you're gonna need before you go home. Also, you're gonna be using a needle to inject with. Um, this, this is not a real needle, this is just a sample one that I have here but you're gonna to need to learn how to use it and then also how to dispose of this. Once you do inject it, then it, you can't use it a second time. You have to get a, a, a different, use a, get a, a different one of these syringes to use it again, but it's very effective. Um, the one thing about this, you don't have to have any stimulation beforehand for play or anything like that. You just inject the medication directly in and 90% uh, and of people, respond to this type of um, treatment. So not like the other oral medications where about 66% of people will respond, 90% of people should respond to this. But you have to learn how to use it. There may be minimal pain at the injection site. You have to actually uh, rotate your injection sites. You don't want to go in the same site all the time. So you don't build up scar tissue in that area. And um, those are probably the main sort of side effects I see with this, with this type of treatment. Okay, now there's another one. A um, it's a transurethral system of putting in the same medication, the alpacidil. It comes the this type of medication though does have to be um, kept in refrigerator, so it has to be kept at um, 36 to 46 degrees of Fahrenheit temperature. Um, otherwise, it decomposes. So you have to. Uh, keep this in refrigerator. So if you're traveling with it, you have to keep it on ice and everything. So that's a little bit of a drawback. But it comes in a, in a container like this. Um, this again is just a sample. Um, let me just one second. Um, uh, anyway, so it comes. So it's going to come in. It's going to come in a package like this. You tear off the package. You open it up. Like this, you take it out of its sort of container. The medication, it looks like a little piece of rice, but it's found in the bottom of here. So the way it works, it's going to have the alpacidil inside of this little pellet. Mm -hmm. um, some people will call it a pellet or uh, intra urethral suppository. So it's going to go inside of your urethra. So when you put this in, you want to first urinate so that you don't put it in and then have to urinate because if you urinate once it's in, you're going to wash it right out. So you urinate first, the urine that is left inside your urethra becomes the lubricant. So you don't want to use Vaseline or any other type of lubricant with it because the, the Vaseline or whatever will sort of, um, sort of jam up this opening, but just your regular urine. 
you kind of just put this down. It has to go down to this hub here so it reaches those corporal bodies, okay? So you want to go down to about there. Then there's a plunger that you push and that pushes the little pellet into the urethra, into where these corporal bodies are. So once that medication gets into where the corporal bodies are, you just gently massage your penis for about 10 seconds. And the, the warmth or the heat of your own body causes the pellet to dissolve across into these corporal bodies. The medicine then gets absorbed into the corporal bodies. And then it stimulates those bodies to dilate and allow the blood to flow into the penis for your erection. So this is, um, and it's, it's right now only one company makes it, um, Muse, M-U-S-E. But um, if there was a transurethral or intraurethral um, suppository or pellet for um, your erections. It comes different um, dosages from, uh, and they're micrograms. So from 100 micrograms up to 1,000 micrograms. So again, you have to be uh, titrated up. Most people have around 250 to 500. Some patients are on 1,000 micrograms. Now, I will say that in general, you try each of these doses, each of these different treatments separately. I don't, I don't think I have anyone who's doing all three, you know, treatments. You either try the Viagra, see how that works. You try the, the intraurethral suppositories to see how that works. And then the injection, intracorporal injection, see how that works. We don't, because if you try them all at the same time, you're going to run the risk of getting priapism. And I will tell you, if you have to come into the hospital for priapism and we have to um, take your erection down, that's not a very comfortable feeling. We actually have to put a needle in the penis and draw that incorporated, that sort of um, clogged blood out of your penis. That's not very comfortable. So you don't want to try to mix all these things at home one at a time. Okay, so we have the oral treatment. We have the injection therapy. We have the intraurethral uh, pellet or suppository therapy. And then we also have something called the um, vacuum pump device. How's everybody doing? Moving along okay? Yes, uh, John. Oh, we're good? Okay. Okay. Very good. Okay, great. I see you have like a little teaching classroom there. Um, <laughs> okay. So now this. Um, vacuum pump um, is just that. So what you're going to do, I'm going to use um, this for demonstration. How can we put what you can see? Basically what you're doing, you're creating a vacuum or a suction. That vacuum or suction is going to draw the blood. So everything is about blood flow. That's why I say at the beginning, it's so important to get your blood pressure checked and your everything that really hinges on blood flow into the penis. So you're gonna create this vacuum. Um, so this suction device here, you're gonna create this, this vacuum that's gonna draw blood into the penis. When that blood gets drawn into the penis, into the corporal areas, there's a particular type of band. So it's not a rubber band, but it's a special band that would then come onto the base of the penis to hold that blood into the penis. And then we'll keep that blood in the penis and keep the penis erect for, uh, sexual activity. And then once you finish, the band then slides right off. So I tell patients, this is not a rubber band. You do not want to put a rubber band on the base of your penis because that's going to strangulate, potentially strangulate your penis. Sometimes we give patients um, bands that they can use separately. I'm sorry, I don't have a one to show you here, but you can sometimes, if you can get an erection on your own without the vacuum suction, you can. there's a special band that you can then put at the base of your penis and then that will hold the blood in the penis and then you can go ahead and have um, sexual activity. But if you need the suction device to get the um, blood to flow in, then you use the special band. And these are actually very, they're soft and very comfortable. Uh, there's a lubricating jelly with it um, to help with the slide on, okay? Now you're thinking like all of this, yes, it seems like a lot. You can learn how to do it. I have a patient. Uh, about 20 years ago, I did a radical prostatectomy on that had postoperative erectile dysfunction. And he can do, he can, um, he's been using the vacuum erectile device for the last 20 years. And he's able to, to do this within his, uh, I don't know, five minutes or something, and he's ready to go. And he's, and this is what he's used for the last 20 years. 
Yes, it has. It's, there's a little bit more you have to get, uh, you have to learn how to use to get used to using or your partner can even help you with using that too. But it's a very, it doesn't involve having to inject any medications or take any medications or any side effects of medications. And you can get a, a very adequate reduction using the vacuum pump device, okay? And they come different. So this one here, actually, you have to use a um, pump to actually, to, I don't know if you can hear that noise, to actually create the suction to draw the blood in. And then there's also one that is an electric that you push the button that um, creates the suction to draw the blood in to create the vacuum. Uh, and then um, finally we have, now this is not, and I'm showing these, it's not necessarily the order that you have to go in. Sometimes some patients will come in the office and they'll say, you know, I've tried Viagra, I don't like the side effects, I want to go straight to the needle injection, or they'll come in the office and they say, I want to go straight to placement of a penile implant. So a penile implant or penile prosthesis or an internal pump is what I'm going to show you next. You don't have to try everything first before you get to the implant or the vacuum pump or whatever, but I do like people to understand uh, the different alternatives before they go to a surgical option. Because once you decide that you wanna have a actual penile implant placed, the penile implant, when it's, once it's placed, now I'm gonna show you what it looks like, they, it's actually gonna now take the place of the corporal tissue that you had inside. So here is an example. We have there are basically two types of implants. Um, this is just one side of an implant. So remember I showed you inside of your penis, you actually have two corporal bodies where blood flows in for erections. You have one on the right side and you have one on the left side. So that's where the penile implant cylinder will go, one on the right and one on the left. Once those implant cylinders go in, whatever erectile tissue you had in there, this implant cylinder now is going to take the place, is going to take the place of that erectile tissue. So one will be on the right and then one would go on the left, okay? This type of implant, these cylinders, and they're not the same length because um, when we put this type of cylinder in you, we have to measure you for the length that's gonna fit your penis. They are different lengths to different penises. So not everyone has the same length. So we wouldn't want to put a long one in the short penis and vice versa. But there's one on each side. This is called a malleable. Malleable means that there's always some semi um, erection to it. The way it works is that when you have two in, the penis is very erect with it. And so you would bend it down into your shorts or underwear, and then you would bend it up when you want to be active. Okay, um, then we, so this is a malleable, and then we have the pump type. This is when I wish we were like in person to get really easy, but. Then we have the pump type. Again, you have two cylinders. So one cylinder in each corporal body, one on the right, one on the left, that are filled with water from a reservoir. And all this is put inside of you, nothing is, um, will be seen on the outside. Everything is put inside your penis and underneath the, the um, muscle of your lower abdomen. And this little pump device is put inside your sac, not in the area where your testicles and your testes, actually your testes are, but underneath the skin um, of your scrotum before you get to your testes, okay? And so I have just water in these now, but they would be, I have just air in these now, but they would be filled with water that would be, the water would be in this reservoir. And once you would squeeze this pump, the water would come from the reservoir and then it would fill the cylinders and the water in the cylinders would then cause your penis to become erect. And then once your penis is erect to the capacity you want, and the amount of water in here is about five cups. You're probably only gonna need about two cups to actually fill the cylinders or less, but we give you extra. And once the cylinders are filled, then your, your penis is erect, you have sexual activity. And then when you're finished, so then there's like another little valve that you push and then the cylinders deflate and then your penis is flaccid again. 
So this is called a multi-component because there's more than just the cylinders. You have multiple components, you have a reservoir, you have a pump device, and, and all this is put inside so that you can it's to sort of more um, simulate the usual response, you know, how you, things would, nothing is ever like mother nature, of course, has built it, but this sort of simulate that in terms of getting an erection. So these would be, um, so this would be your the malleable uh, placement for your penile implant, and then this would be the multi-component uh, penile implant. So these are the things that are FDA approved for uh, treatment of erectile dysfunction. Now, there are other things, and I don't have them here, but there's some other things that you might see on the market. Um, and I'll just mention one for um, to help with erectile dysfunction. And I think the latest one that I've seen is using ultrasound um, to stimulate blood flow. So there's using um, an ultrasound. I don't know if any of you have ever had an ultrasound, but I'll just say, just think of this uh, lubricating jelly here as an ultrasound probe. The ultrasound probe, and I'll just uh, use this penis, is jelly is put on the skin and the ultrasound probe is used to sort of like massage the penis. And so in that massaging, what is um, thought to be happening is that it's causing the vessels to dilate. And again, when they dilate, blood will flow into the penis. So come, uh, different um, marketing firms that are out there will market this to you, to you or to uh, people and say, well, come in and have this ultrasound technique done and they'll give you like, your first um, sort of ultrasound technique free. And then the next, you'll, you, know, you set up a schedule of two or three demonstrations. It's about 600 to 1200 and actually even higher to have this done. It's not FDA approved. Why? Because there are not enough studies to show if this is really working. If it's not, again, just a placebo effect of someone of a nice massage, and that's causing the uh, flow of penis and of blood in, of, into the penis. And does is this a long-lasting effect? As someone had mentioned about different lubrication, different swabs and into the penis, rubbing onto the penis. Again, yes, you can create the massaging action can stimulate blood flow. Just like if you put, if you ever have a massage and someone uses a, a warm cream that again will um, heat up the, the flow of blood and give a nice massage, but then is that a long lasting effect to maintain an erection? So there's, there are other um, uh, places that will advertise different techniques, different things for erections and they sound good and they may work and you, you know, but you you pay your hard-earned money to go and find out about them. But then the things I've shown you today are things that are FDA approved, and uh, they have been tried and tested and um, and work. Not not everything. Nothing here is one hundred percent. Even the placement of the penile implants can have um, things can happen. Things can go awry. For example, infections. We have to take them out. The tubing sometimes can get kinked if you're body weight changes, 20, 30 pounds, you gain 100 pounds, you lose 100 pounds, a lot of different things can happen. We have to change those around. So nothing is 100%. Okay, I see Dr. Callender's hand is up. Yes, Dr. Callender, let me unmute you. Um, I, the, uh -huh. the only issue that I, I would raise is that, uh, what about uh, those commercials on television that talk about testosterone levels oh. and are those really effective or are those just uh, uh, just advertisements? Right, thank you, Dr. Callender. So testosterone is a um, hormone uh, that is made in men and women actually, but, but predominantly in, in men is 90% is made by your testes, another 10% by your adrenal gland. Now, testosterone is primarily important for your libido, for your sex drive. So it's also important um, for your male organs to stimulate your, your penis and your prostate growth, but it's actually not um, FDA approved for treatment of erectile dysfunction, okay? With, with respect to getting an erection, you do need testosterone to have overall um, sex drive, but you don't necessarily need it for your erections. Testosterone itself, so you'll see that they were doing a lot of um, advertising for testosterone, but you notice that it stopped. Why? Because testosterone, when it's given properly, is actually has very a lot of side effects. Um, testosterone can cause blood clots. 
Um, it can cause so pulmonary blood clots in the lungs, blood clots in the legs. It can um, increase the, um, make your red blood cells thicker, which causes this. It can cause problems with your thyroid function test. It has a lot of side effects. So it's something that, um, and I, when I say when given properly, so when it's actually given as either um, as a gel, as an injection, different ways. When you get testosterone, you just take it as a pill. You really don't absorb that much of it. Or if you if you see it like over the counter, it says, oh, this is testosterone. It's really not enough to really do anything. So it's as a supplement, it's, um, it's really, again, a, a waste of money when you take it that way. But it... But again, the uh, FDA has asked these companies to stop marketing it because it, it really is, can be a very harmful drug um, taken that way. Yes, Dr. Callender? Yes, the other question is, uh, what about for the women in the audience who have- Yes, we're gonna do- libido and- Yes. Uh, what about so, them? So testosterone actually has been looked at for women. A small amount of testosterone now is FDA approved for women to help with their sex drive and their libido and also for stimulation in the clitoral area. But it has, but it's, there's a small amount that's regulated for women to be used um, in that respect. Um, and there's a lot of um, research going on for women, for us in terms of our sex drive. One thing that we do know that the vaginal area is very hormonally dependent and what hormone is it dependent on for us is estrogen. And so as we get older, um, and for men, your testosterone level goes down, a little bit of your estrogen level goes up, and women, our estrogen level goes down, not much of our testosterone level goes up. <laughs> but we lose some of our estrogen level in the vagina, which is where we need it to keep the vagina nicely moist and lubricated um, for uh, sexual activity. So there are ways to replace the estrogen level to the vagina, not by pill, not orally. It doesn't get it gets into the system, but it doesn't get down to the vagina. So the way to replace estrogen vaginally is actually three ways. One is using a small amount of estrogen vaginal cream. You prime the system, you put it in at night, um, hopefully you're not going to the bathroom much at night, so you're not rubbing it off. You put it in at night, small amount of estrogen vaginal cream, about a gram or a fingertip amount around the area, the external vagina will get absorbed in or there's an estrogen pill that can be put in a small pellet or an estrogen ring that can be put in once every three months and it will deliver estrogen to the vaginal area for vaginal atrophy or atrophic So you might be wondering, oh, well, but am I gonna be getting estrogen and I have to worry about breast cancer or endometrial cancer? The amount of estrogen that's given this way is a small amount. It doesn't get into the systemic absorption. So sometimes even patients that have had a history of breast cancer, if it's not estrogen receptor positive, can use this type of estrogen uh, replacement because it is very, very minimal systemic estrogen absorption. So that's something that can be for women for, um, for estrogen replacement for uh, atrophic vaginitis. Uh, let's see, any other questions? I know we're about out of time. Is there anything you don't know about the uh, genital urinary tract? That I don't know. Oh, there's so much. There's so much. And there's so much education in now coming on for women. And there's a lot of things that are coming out for more for men too. Like I said, there's going to be some changes in how the medications are going to be delivered in terms of chewable forms and, and other, other things. And we have different types of newer implants. And I mean, there's lots, lots of things. So um, just, I was to say to leave you with that um, erectile dysfunction or changes in our erections, changes in our bodies are things that are gonna happen as we were people living older. I have a patient that came in last week, 107 years old or young, <laughs> how he wants to put it. And so, um, so there's a lot going on, a lot of interesting research. Yes, Dr. Otto. Yes. Yes. yes, yes. Again, thank you for a very good presentation. From your experience, uh, would you say uh, that men over 75 years old, you know, come to your clinic or to your hospital for ED treatment than younger males, like in the ages of between 30 and 50? On the average, will you say from your experience that older men had come for ED treatment 
Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good question. I would say, first of all, men of all ages come. So it's not just, again, it's not just a, uh, not just men of older age. Okay. okay. Um, in general, though, um, when I do see men in the younger age, in their 30s, say to, well, let's say 25 to uh, 40, I do have to think about other I, I think actually more of, is this a sign of, especially in African-American men, of getting hypertension because they are focusing on, um, or high, or high lipid levels, their cholesterol is high, their blood pressure is high, or thyroid disease or something else going on. And, um, or is this a transient you know, phenomenon? So what I will do, or sugar, because they will be, they actually are presenting with something else. And a lot of times they're presenting with high lipid levels and hypertension. And we see, I see them presenting with high blood pressure in their 30s, and they're presenting with the erectile dysfunction, but they actually have, they're, they're actually coming on with hypertension. So that's one thing. So I don't really, I get focused. I talk to them about what they're seeing with their erections, but I really want them to understand we need to get your cholesterol level. And a lot of times they have high cholesterol. And then we see them in their 40s and 50s if they don't get that checked, having a stroke. So I want them to, so I'm, I'm happy that they come in because it gives me an opportunity to talk to them about other, um, you know, other factors, other health issues that they need to be talking about. But I will say for the most part in my, my practice, in my clinic, I am seeing men probably in their 50s, 60s, because I see, I'm seeing them for more problems, issues with enlarged prostate or symptoms of uh, maybe um, elevated prostate, PSA, blood tests and things like that. Okay. And then with that, then we, I always, I don't let people walk out and say, by the way, I try to bring up the issue of erectile dysfunction. So we can have a healthy conversation about yeah. that and not as a, by the way, conversation. So I like to get into it early, not later and, and move on from there. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Dr. Callender for inviting me. Thank you everyone for your attention. And uh, as always, I'll be happy to come back and talk on any other subject. Neurologically. <laughs> let me let me ask you one last question. Yes. What is your stance on whether uh, African men above the age of 45 should get a PSA? I think African men at 35 should get a PSA. Tell you the truth. I mean, just like as we've moved the dial for colon cancer to 35 in African American men, I think that there should be a baseline PSA at least at 40. And African American men, I'm sorry, because um, it, it, certainly at 40, we should certainly African American men, whether or not they have a history of prostate cancer or not, should have a baseline PSA. That's my feeling. Well, I must thank you for a fabulous presentation. Uh, and uh, I think we're very happy that you present on a subject that most people are afraid to talk about. <laughs> and uh, you not only talked about it, you went into deep detail uh, to tell us uh, something that uh, we wouldn't otherwise know about. And so I can't thank you enough. And uh, we hope you'll be able to join us again sometime in the future to educate us and elucidate us in terms of how we can uh, be our best selves. There's thank one more hand, Dr. Callender, one more hand. Yes, sir. Thank you, Dr. Callender. Uh, Dr. Coleman, I have a, a question about how a doctor can help a patient get affordable ED medications. And the reason why I say that is because generally uh, they're not covered by prescription drug coverage. Uh, by some of the standard pharmacies like Walgreens or CVS, the price may be uh, several hundred dollars. Uh, online Drug sources like RexMD or Get Roman still may be, it's, it's less, but it's still um, uh, very expensive. Is there any way a doctor can help a patient get more affordable ED medications? Yes, so thank you so much for that question. I uh, should have meant to cover that too, because yes, there, there are so quickly. So there's, um, I tell my patients about GoodRx. Um, I actually have a sample, like on my phone, I'll show them how to use GoodRx. Um, there are some pharmacies that are cheaper. Um, Costco's, for example, you don't have to have a membership to use Costco's. It's much cheaper than CVS um, or Walgreens. And then we also use a company called uh, We Care Pharmacy. Now you do have to buy in bulk. So let's say, for example, um, 
Viagra, and it is generic, you have to usually buy generic, although you can buy brand name. So generic for Viagra is Sildenafil. You can get it as cheap as $2, $2 to $3 a pill. And it is the medication because sometimes you can go on some of these websites and you're not getting the medication. You're getting some population of the medicine that has mostly sugars and salts and not the real medicine in it. But this um, We Care Pharmacy does have the uh, Sildenafil in it. They will also mix up the alprostadil and the trimix, different things that we need. But um, you do have to usually buy 30 pills, but if at $3 a pill or $2 a pill, it comes out to be $60 and, and you can get what you need. And so um, if you're having a problem with that, feel free to contact me or to Dr. Calendar. Um, my email is pamela.coleman at howard.edu and I can get you um, the information you need to be able to do that or anyone that needs to be able to do that. And there are some sources uh, with, and uh, for anybody that missed that, I think you said goodrx.com, is that correct? Yes, goodrx, and actually goodrx will show you, now you do need to have a prescription. Um, so, you know, you need to get a prescription from your doctor and it will actually, if I go on goodrx right now, I put in sildenafil, 25 milligrams, 100 milligrams, it will say, it will give you the pharmacies near your, near where you live. And it will say, for example, Safeway is uh, $200, Costco is $50, and Rite Aid is, you know, X number. And you can decide where you want to go. And it will also even give you a coupon that you can use when you go there. But you do need to have a prescription to take wherever you're going to get that medication. And you can use it for other medicines too. You can use it for your amlodipine, your Lasix. I mean, you can use it for other other medications also. And a good, as also as a disclaimer, I have no financial <laughs> uh, <laughs> support in any of these things, but I, but I have given those um, to my patients to use, yes. Well, we can't thank you enough for your invaluable presentation. Thank you very much. Okay. All right, uh, group, uh, it's been a great uh, session and uh, see you again next week. Next week, we're having a presentation by uh, Dr. Visasan uh, on medical problems of those people who are over 50. So those people who are 20 and 30, uh, it will not apply to you, but those who are uh, 50 and over will apply. So have a good weekend and see you next week. And that's counting. Somebody had a question? Chris? No, I was just saying good morning. Good morning. It's, okay. uh, Okay. You all's uh, topic uh, this morning was uh, informative. Oh, <laughs> oh, we haven't seen you enough. <laughs>